Before we begin today, I have a special call to action for everybody listening. On July 10th, I will turn 34 years old. Now, 34 isn't special for most people, I know that, but for me it is. Ever since I was 10 years old and I decided that then Kansas City Jayhawk and future Boston Celtic Paul Pierce was my favorite player and Paul wore 34, that has been my lucky number. Because of that, this is my lucky year. So, I wanted to do something special. My freshman year of college, I was arrested with a couple friends for possession, paraphernalia, and a couple other related charges to using and distributing marijuana. Luckily for me, I am an affluent white guy, and that disruption to my life was very short-lived. In fact, it was eventually expunged my record. It's as if this never happened. And more than that, it never kept me from getting a job, uh, you know, a loan, any of this kind of stuff. The same can't be said for millions of black and brown Americans. The war on drugs is built on a foundation of lies. It is racist, and it has been used to disrupt the communities that our white American system has decided is undesirable. In the show notes, you'll find a link to a complete call for action. I would love for you to join me as a birthday present in raising $10,000 for the Drug Policy Alliance, an organization that seeks to end the racist war on drugs. Please go to that link and give me the birthday present of helping millions of Americans who've been unjustly targeted simply by being who they are. All right, let's get started with the episode. But I'm going to just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Welcome back to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. This is your host, Jay Schiffman. We are at episode 21. 21. This podcast can legally drink which I think is appropriate because it is a podcast about issues of mental health and substance misuse and recovery. This is a a fun one. The interview today is with a harm reduction hero. She runs a couple of awesome organizations underneath one umbrella. uh, And, and, They do some really incredible work. As you'll hear in our interview, I found out about them through Harm Reduction Hero that I follow on Twitter. I I should shout out all the people. I'm just mentioning them without mentioning their name. So the interview is with Jamie Favero of Next Distro. Uh, They do really incredible work. There's a link to their website in the show notes. Uh, And Jamie shouted out a couple of times. They do Narcan and syringe access and just really are helping change the narrative on harm reduction. So I was mentioning I found them because of someone you should all follow. Their name is Mohawk Green. They are just incredible. Follow them on social media. But they do work with Next. So I learned about Next through them and reached out to Jamie who is the organization's leader to to or founder I should say you'll hear in this she's very observant over saying that this is a team effort but uh, she is the founder of the organization and that's why I chose her so there's a moment in this interview where I talk about how I, I could interview every single person she works with in those cases I defer to the person who is either the founder the leader whatever and then say to them Okay, so if I'm going to choose one person, you know, because, look, I reach out to a lot of amazing organizations. I would love to say that every single one of them was like, yeah, let me connect you to our founder. Many do, um, or, or our executive director, whatever the case is. That's not always the case. And so 
Um, <laughs> Mohawk, if you hear this, reach out. I would love to get you on this podcast and love to just chat with you anyways. But, you know, I was incredibly lucky to get the opportunity to chat with Jamie, uh, who's been in this work now for uh, over, I think she says, 15 years, um, which is pretty incredible. So enjoy that. Um, one little note about our conversation. You'll hear us mention Mark a couple of times, just the name Mark. We went deeper into who Mark is in a part of the interview that I cut out. It was mostly her and I getting into the weeds about some of the where we overlap. Mark is Mark Burroughs. He started uh, the needle exchange that you'll hear me reference early in the episode about, you know, out of the trunk of his car. That's who Mark is. So, so uh, I, I recognize when I went back and listened to the interview after I was done editing that I had cut out the little information piece that connects those two things. So that's my explanation there. The shout out is uh, from a good friend of mine named Emily Dodder. Emily and I have a lot in common. We've been friends for about five years, and she wanted me to describe her as a usually good person and a mental health dabbler. So that's who the shout out is from today. Uh, she's got some really cool things to say. Um, at the end, she gives her normal shout out as I give everybody, I ask everybody to do where they can follow them. That's not her thing. She doesn't put a lot out there on social media. So she asks everybody to go follow a person that you hear mentioned on this podcast a lot. Spark Tabor. Spark has been one of my best friends since we were uh, in early middle school. Um, if you listen to last week's episode, there was an ad for his podcast, uh, which I did just to just to throw him some love because I love him very much. Uh, and Emily is a big fan of his Twitch, so uh, she shouts that out. Uh, there's a link to his Twitch in the show notes. Give him a follow if you're a Twitch person. If you're not, go check out his podcast, Cookies for Breakfast, uh, his social media you know, you search Spark Tabor. He's the only Spark uh, Tabor out there, I would assume. So thank you, Emily, for that. You heard the the shout out for my birthday uh, celebration, and please keep doing that. Uh, it, this is July 4th weekend, which means we're 10 days away from my birthday, uh, or a little less when this comes out. Speaking of July 4th, my wife and I are hosting a demonstration. We're not calling it a protest because it's, you know, we're, we're, we're not protesting July 4th. We are instead demonstrating to show that this holiday is not for everyone. You know, this, this holiday recognizes the founding of this country, which is in a very, very important moment. But if you read the Declaration of Independence, it starts out with a lie. It starts out with a, all men are created equal. And that was flat out a lie. So um, we are hosting a demonstration. And I encourage you to do something on this occasion. It doesn't have to be a demonstration. It doesn't have to be something physical. It can just be taking some time to meditate on that idea. Until justice for all truly means justice for all. Until that promise of the declaration that all men are created equal and endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights, chief among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those words still do not mean for all in this country. So spend some time thinking about that. Keep following black and brown voices. I hope you did the good egg last week. I think that's it for the intro. Keep reaching out. I love it. I'm going to say that every time. I really appreciate it. Uh, again, where to find me? Just just go to my website, jshiffman.com. That's the, that's the big one. And keep sharing the podcast. Keep rating. Keep reviewing. If you're on Apple Podcasts, if you're a place where that's not a thing that you can do, just keep sharing uh, and keep reaching out. I appreciate it. And enjoy the interviews. So, uh, Mental Health Dabbler... What would you like to talk about? Uh, journaling. Yeah. I'm like super into journaling. So journaling is, um, you have a blank book, you're the author and you write stuff down. I mean, I haven't really written anything or done anything like that since school. Like I, I don't write because um, unless it's a note or a text or something like that, but it's, it's weird to start handwriting um, again. And I, I was feeling weird one day 
um, it was actually my dog got attacked by another dog and I bought the journal like a long time ago because I wanted to get into it just because I heard about the great like mental health aspects of keeping a journal um, from someplace online I think or maybe even my sister and so I bought the journal and I was just working through a lot of feelings uh, through that ex traumatic experience. I was very upset and I just didn't want to bother the people around me, like my support group. I felt like I was already leaning on them pretty hard. So I just opened up the journal, wrote down the date and just wrote everything out. And I, afterwards I felt better. I, it, was, it was weird um, how much better I felt just to get things down. And uh, it, it took me a little bit to get into it, even after writing down that entry. Um, and I was thinking about that, like, why did it take me so long after I bought this blank book to write down my thoughts? And I realized it's because I was so used to people reading my writing. Like in school, people read your writing. Uh, when you write stuff down, it's you're rereading it for a reminder or you're writing a note for somebody else. And I felt very self-conscious to write down my own thoughts into a book because they're not important. They're kind of dumb sometimes. And like, you know, it, it felt like I'm, I'm not a famous person. Who's going to care about my thoughts? And then I realized, oh yeah, nobody's going to read this. This is literally just my book. No one is going to care or read about this. I can just say whatever I want. And just accepting that was so freeing. Like I could write down anything, any personal thought, and like I could rip up the page, throw it away. I'd never had to explore it again, but I could get it down off the page. And just giving myself that freedom to use this blank book for whatever I wanted was just really amazing. It was during the pandemic when I was home alone and, you know, not doing anything. I was like, what? what was I doing? Like, when, was, when did I start keeping this journal? And I went to the front and it was literally a year from when I, I was looking back. And I was just curious. I was like, I'm, what, did, what was I writing? Some of it, some of the entries I skipped because I'm like, I don't really feel like revisiting those feelings, but it's, it's interesting to go back and reflect. Um, it was actually really helpful during the pandemic to sort of write down my thoughts and feelings um, just so I could have a record if I ever wanted to go back and read it again of just how I was feeling or like if somebody asks me, I could be like, well, well here's, here's what I wrote um, just to get the record down because there's so many places to get information, but your own experiences are, you know, valuable, at least to yourself. Uh, I know there's a lot of places and resources and things to help yourself, um, like this podcast. But for me, just journaling and writing it all down was just was just nice. I don't really have any social media, but if you want to follow my boy Spark on Twitch, he is Splization. Uh, he does good good videos. I don't know, it's fun to watch him play. He he's terrible at shooting games, uh, and sometimes his basketball is a little a little lackluster. So. But, but it's always a good time. Always a good time watching Splization on Twitch. All right, so I know you've heard me talk about Mountain Made before, but today I want to tell you a little bit about their actual product system. The first is Build. Build is a 50 milligram CBD tablet that saturates your system. The second is Boost. Boost is a 10 milligram CBD chewable with electrolytes, and it helps titrate your CBD levels throughout the day. The third is Recover. You take it at the end of the day and it's a 25 milligram CBD chewable with magnolia and helps maximize your rest and recovery. But here's the thing. I don't just talk about it. I actually use it. Boost is my favorite. I take a couple throughout the day and it really leaves me feeling pretty great. So if you add that all together, that's 105 milligrams of CBD every day. And it's at an affordable price too. All of those products are THC free and they ship nationwide with three easy ways to pay. You can order your CBD today and become a part of the Mountain Made community just like that. So activate your lifestyle today and go like hell. But don't just take my word for it. With over 25 athletes, lifestyle enthusiasts, clinicians, physicians, all amazing people backing them, their product lines are continuing to prove themselves as the real deal. So you can find out more at www.mountainmade.life or check them out on social media at MNT Made. All right, back to the episode.
My name is Jamie Favero. I'm the founder and executive director of Next Harm Reduction, which has two programs, Next Distro, which is a male-based syringe access program, and Next Naloxone, which is a male-based naloxone program. In 2017, I founded Next Harm Reduction after hearing Tracy Hilton speak at the 2016 Harm Reduction uh, Coalition Conference. She was talking about mailing naloxone from her home to folks she had met on Reddit, um, people who, uh, you know, it would take 45 minutes for the ambulance or the volunteer EMT workers to get to a, an opioid overdose incident. And harm reduction programs have a long history of, you know, by any means necessary, getting supplies to people that need them. And we've been mailing supplies for a long time, but the idea of creating a program, a syringe access program that's online, that specifically supports people who can't access in-person services, um, it blew my mind. And hearing Tracy speak at the conference, a light bulb went off in my head that there can be a whole new uh, way of providing harm reduction resources and support. So um, first off, just awesome work. I, I, I um, you know, full disclosure to all my listeners, I am a financial supporter. I found out about your work and like within 10 minutes was, was sending money because I think it's so important doing what you're doing uh, and putting our money where our mouth is, um, especially for harm reduction organizations, which still face uh, just ridiculous amounts of stigma and legal red tape. And, you know, the, the mountain that you have to climb to do what you do is, um, it, it's, it, it can be disheartening. So talk a little bit about that, about how you work to overcome a lot of that. And also, you know, we, we're in a society where, where for the most part, there are organizations that do everything already. And, and a lot of times nonprofits are founded, but in reality, they should be partnering with someone else or whatever the case is. That is not the case in harm reduction. There is not enough people doing this work. So how hard was it for you to start this new organization? Um, well, I'm, this is a, I'm a second time founder. I mean, I was just telling a friend <laughs> that, um, you know, when I founded Washington Heights Corner Project, I was 25 years old and I was single and I wasn't responsible to anyone. And I would sleep at the office. I would, you know, I just lived and, and breathed um, founding an, an organization and doing it mindfully. And now I have two children, I have a partner, and it has been really challenging to build a harm reduction program that's of this scale. I think one of the visions of Next is focused on the fact that with technology and the internet, there's no geographic um, limit to who we can reach and how to cre we create a program that's not just state specific, but that's national. And I, I really bit off a lot <laughs> in doing that. Um, you know, I have, I have really big vision for what this program, what this organization can do and how it can support people and how it can build power among people who use drugs across the country. And very specifically, not just for places like New York and California, where we have very progressive, well, I don't want to say very progressive drug policy, but, you know, we have folks in Southern states and that's really where it would be great to focus a lot of, um, community organizing and community mobilizing in order to possibly support those folks in influencing policy change. Well, you're preaching to the choir. Uh, I, I was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. I lived in New York. And in August, my wife and I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. So um, yeah. yeah, so <laughs> oh my God, I, I told her yesterday, so we've been here nine months now, and actually 10 months, and I just feel every day like a fish out of water and it, it's it's hard it is really hard down here where we uh, in this state uh, four years ago the first harm reduction organization started and it was a guy literally selling out of the trunk of his car not even selling giving away uh, and selling when he could because he just believed in it so much um, and but he couldn't come above board because they would shut him down every time and in the fall and uh, the second one started up applied for a national grant 
the state government heard about it and went to this national organization and said, you cannot give them money. We don't support them. We will block it if you try to give them money. Uh, so you are a thousand times correct. You know, it is amazing. <laughs> By extension, you know, these are, are fully accepted topics in, in New York and in, in some more progressive areas only because it's so bad down here. Um, and it's, it's really difficult when people still don't even want to talk about it. So how, how much of that, uh, you know, I, I hate to even give that, that time, but how much of those, uh, that opposition do you, you know, do you get hit with, or are you just like, you know what, forget it. We're going to do what we're going to do. Well, I certainly don't think too much about what is and isn't possible. I think about next and harm, a lot of harm reduction that's built from the grassroots as an autonomous health movement. So next has mailed supplies to all 50 states and Puerto Rico. We've um, mailed to over 40% of United States counties wow. between the two programs, next distro and next naloxone. We are legally operating in a handful of those counties. And certainly Next Distro, the syringe access program, is very different from Next Naloxone. My, my life is syringe exchange and harm reduction access. And when we were getting Next Legal in New York, we're a, a New York State licensed syringe exchange program, um, we started getting all of these requests from folks who didn't need syringe access. They needed naloxone. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get it because they didn't have a car to go to the pharmacy. They didn't have money for the copay. Um, they lived in a small town and they went to high school with the pharmacist. And the last thing they wanted was the pharmacist knowing they were getting, you know, naloxone. So it, you know, that was another light bulb moment that it's not just about needle exchange. It's about naloxone access also. And um, it's, pretty bittersweet how much traction the naloxone website has gotten over the syringe access website by far naloxone access has gotten the most um funding with next and it's very frustrating because it's as if people want to you know put all this money into overdose prevention but not any money or support into supporting people who use drugs while they're alive and making sure they're healthy and well we operate a hub and spoke model, and specifically with the naloxone site, we operate in 31 states with assistance of state affiliates, which are harm reduction programs within their state that mail their own naloxone under their own standing order uh, to residents within their state. And that's one of the ways that we've been really successful at expanding the work across the country. Um, and for folks that live in states like Kansas and South Dakota, where we don't have an affiliate, we just mail the supplies directly from New York. I think with an online model and something that you can access 24 seven from your home and you can get it over to your door, um, we wanna ensure that folks are not using our service in place of in-person harm reduction because connecting with Mark in person and seeing and talking to him is much different than getting supplies mailed Definitely. to you from the internet and and there's so much value in that in-person support so say if folks from around south carolina that are within mark's vicinity we have pamphlets for challenges that we include with the mailings and we directly connect them to mark so that they know they're not alone in south carolina and that there is someone there that's <laughs> awesome and we need we need more of that uh down here in charleston is the, the the second one i was talking about and they started after talking with with mark for that reason is Mark was like, look, I'm just doing this one county. We need more of that. Um, so, you know, these are topics that shouldn't be as personal, but most people who get into this line of work have a personal relationship. It, you started at a young age. Was this something that you just felt passionate about or did you have a personal connection with the topics of mental health and substance misuse and recovery? Um, I identify as a person who uses drugs. I have used drugs in one form or another since high school. I bought and sold drugs even in high school. Um, and I, in college, um, and I also just 
want to say that I'm a white blonde woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that's important to know. In college, I took this class um, on definitions of deviance and we read this book called The Rich Get Richer and the Poor Get Prison. And there was like, there was many like um, touch points where I came to recognize my privilege as a white person um, in using drugs, in buying and selling drugs. Well, that book you just shouted out. Can you? Um, while you're thinking, like, what was it again? I want to write this down. It's called "The Rich Get Richer and the Poor Get okay. Prison." I don't even know the copyright. I don't know how old it was, but just thinking about how we define deviance in society and how we really stratify um, by race and by class. So there's there's an updated version in 2015. So not not old. That's awesome. I want to look into. Great. Yeah. I mean, I read it when I was, you know, 20, so I can't <laughs> vouch for how relevant it is today. I feel like so much more has been written now about uh, race and class. But, but I think it's, um, I think it's even, yes, I mean, obviously all new developments on this need to be studied, but what's so fascinating, I was on a podcast yesterday where it, we were talking about racial justice and I said, you know, as someone who, who works in the, uh, uh, you know, mental health and, and substance misuse you know, field, we need to recognize how so much of our drug laws in this country were built on overt racism. I'm not even talking about under the under the line racism. You know, the earliest anti-opium laws were against Chinese, like it was out in the open, you know, and, and not even the one that everyone likes to cite about the difference between powdered cocaine and crack cocaine, which is, we all know that now, that was again, overt racism, but it goes back to centuries, you know, a hundred years before that. So, I think it's super important that we talk about this and and people that don't even realize that they're expounding, oh, this is what I know about drugs. Well, you're probably wrong. And what you're wrong about is based on, instead of fact, is based on complete racism. And that is an important yeah. thing for people that work in this field to talk about. Yeah, we, you know, um, with Next, we, from day one, when thinking about creating a new form of harm reduction, how do we decenter whiteness in um, a social movement that is so often been led by white men who speak English, um, who are well off? And with Next, we created a BIPOC work plan that creates a foundation for how this organization exists in the harm reduction movement as one that is specifically um, set up to work against white supremacy in the movement by centering people of color and also by prioritizing their needs. I also want to mention that the BIPOC work plan is like publicly available on our website. We're also um, listing it so that folks from the community can comment on it. We see it as a living document. That's something that we all work towards. So that actually rolls into my next point, which is please take a moment to pause, tell people where they can find you, shout out your organization, tell people where they can find that, anything you want to promote. Sure. Well, uh, Next Distro can be uh, Next Distro can be found at nextdistro.org, and the Naloxone program can be found at naloxoneforall.org. Awesome. So, you know, this is still relatively new, right? You're in your third year now. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, you know, what in your mind? And this is a this is a big question. So you can definitely, you know, if there's no answer, that's okay. What does success look like? Because I know that for a lot of harm reduction organizations, you know getting this to be a more accepted model than it is is success but it but it's more of a step one right it's it's that that isn't long term we just need to get there first for for you and your organization sort of looking five years out what is what does that look like i mean success means policy change and decriminalizing syringes and ensuring naloxone access for free to people who need it um, not to mention immense changes in drug policy. Where I feel like we fit in this movement is by ensuring that we utilize the reach we have to mobilize people who use drugs and people who access naloxone from our site to um, engage locally and at the state level with, with policy change. I also want to say that the goal of NEXT is to operate legally in all 50 states and to ensure that people in all 50 states have 
free access to harm reduction supplies, education, and support. Everyone should have the same resources that you could get if you walked into an in-person syringe exchange program. Is there, so this is something that I struggle with, and that is that I sometimes have trouble seeing the forest for the trees. Is there something that right now, is there movement that is giving you hope? Uh, are you able to step back and say, look, we're nowhere close to where we need to be, but here is where we have, have moved from? Or are you, are you like me where you just go, man, we have so far to go. It's really hard to, to find the hope. Yeah, uh, I mean, with COVID-19, it was really challenging because so many harm reduction programs that were run by um, organizations that were not grassroots harm reduction organizations that were run by health departments, they closed. And they closed the only needle exchange within an hour's drive. And it was so disheartening and frustrating because the way funding is coming down now, you have to be a very large ASO or organization in order to apply for certain funding that could benefit a harm reduction program. And the small grassroots programs have no chance to receive any of that funding due to just a historical lack of infrastructure for this type of work. But also like we don't like harm reduction and the nonprofit industrial complex are very far apart on the spectrum. So, um, you know, I wouldn't even want to take money that would come from the government because it may mean that I need to provide data or, you know, um, engage in certain like time limited practices. I think that in New York City, when we started having Medicaid reimbursement for harm reduction services, a lot of the grassroots harm reduction programs just really struggled and people left them in mass because um, it was no longer about meeting people where they are and providing what they need, but about providing a 30 minute service that's reimbursable for X amount of dollars. Breach. I, I love it. I, I mean, I know, let me rephrase that. I don't love it. I hate <laughs> it, but I love that you're saying this because it's, it's sad. It's a sad reality that oftentimes these nonprofits that are fighting the good fight get diverted because at the end of the day, they're responsible to the money that they're, they're taking. And often the big money either comes from the government, which as you just said, has so many strings attached that it's almost not worth it at the end of the day, or, or they come from one big donor who says, I'm going to give you all this money, but you have to do X and it changes the mission. It changes the rules of the organization. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's hard to to find the light when with that case. So I applaud you for recognizing that and being, it sounds like very strategic where you get your funding so that you are able to maintain a focus on the mission and not get diverted following some of those dollars. But it must make it very difficult at the same time, you know, to find to keep your funding at a level that it needs to be without taking those strings attached big money. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I talk about all this vision around policy change and, you know, a 50 state strategy. But when it comes down to it, I don't have money to do any of this. Um, like, I'm just trying to scrape money together to buy safer smoking supplies or tourniquets or fentanyl test strips. And um, we have like there's some very limited funders who support harm reduction and syringe access specifically. And they do so very generously, but it's just not enough, especially when you're looking looking at um, an organization that has a national focus. Yeah, I'm sure that can be difficult, how to balance those two, uh, sort of the, the angel and the devil on, on each shoulder. Uh, how big, is this all you, or how, how big is your team? That, <laughs> one second. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think about how to say this. We can, if, if this is too difficult, we can cut out this topic. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, since, I mean, what's interesting is that since COVID-19, when we, we usually have an office at Harm Reduction Coalition at 27th Street in New York City, and when their office shut down, you know, we couldn't receive shipments there. I also had two children that now need to be homeschooled. And I actually had to move our entire operations to the apartment so that um, Jose, who's usually a program assistant, who pr 
provide support and packing, you know, we were no longer, he was no longer able to provide the support because I had to, because of COVID-19, like you couldn't take right. it away. So I think between, you know, March 15th and May 15th, I mailed over 87,000 syringes out of my apartment. <laughs> wow. And it has been really rough. Um, it's, it's not been easy, but we do, we are slowly building a really expert team. We now have a program coordinator, Dan Coelho, who I can't even say enough great things about Mohawk Green, who's known as Mohawk the Educator on um, social media is our technology program manager. And we also, through funding with Vital Strategies, have been building out work in Pennsylvania and Michigan, which have enabled us to hire state directors, which although they're focused on the states where their funding is coming from, um, they're, they're also focused on a national strategy. So that's awesome. That's really cool to hear. Uh, props to you. And shout out to Mohawk. That's actually how I found your organization was I was someone else referred me to Mohawk on social media and was like, you gotta, you gotta check this out. I did saw the tweets about your organization and was like, Oh my God, this is incredible and started following. So uh, definitely props to Mohawk. Uh, keep up the great work. If you hear this and, and obviously I hope you do because I, I love all your work. Um, so yes, that's, that's very cool. Uh, I think what's, what's really great about your organization is that uh, it was like, so I, I, I have to be selective, obviously, who I, I choose to interview because it's like, I, you know, I could do a whole podcast series just about your organization, the work you're doing, but I have to choose one person, whatever. And I went to your page and was like, I, I want to interview all these people. This is awesome. Like this staff are, is full of rock stars. It, it, you know, I, I feel like that there are some, or, some uh, environments that just attract good people and harm reduction, in my opinion, and you can tell me I'm wrong because you work in it every day, but harm reduction feels like one of those that just attracts awesome people. It absolutely is. <laughs> so it, I, I would assume then that you've had no trouble in finding, it, you know, it's almost like it's, um, you know, it, 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 it's a snowball, right? Because you meet one person who, who cares about this and they can unlock a whole nother realm of people. Is that sort of the case where it's just like you got to kick that door down and once you're there, you can start to, the flowers start to bloom a little bit? In what sense? Like for, well, for funders or for clients? Well, for both. I mean, you know, down here, like I said, in South Carolina, there's I still a don't talk about that issue, but that's not everybody. And it just takes a lot more work to find those people. I assume you've had more success once that you've got that, that ball rolling a little bit, it keeps going. Yeah. And in a way, it's really, it's a struggle because from the client perspective, we've had to tell people, you know, I'll send you enough supplies to give out to your community, but please be discreet about where you got them. Because quite literally, I cannot send out any more boxes. I cannot purchase any more needles. We are so over capacity. Um, and the long-term strategy is to have this project funded in each state so that an in-person program, an in-person syringe exchange would be the one doing the mechanics of mailing. But right now, because everything is coming out of New York, um, it's been really difficult when the snowball happens. So obviously funding is number one right? But what other ways can people help if they're listening to this podcast and they're like, this is awesome. What can I do? Yeah. Well, um, one way that we've been trying to harness volunteers right now is our resource page. It's at nextdistra.org backslash resources. And originally, um, when we were conceiving this project, we wanted to consolidate the collective wisdom of harm reduction. Like what's out there? There's so many great things. How do we create a container for it to be in one place for folks, you know, from all over the United States to access? Um, and that's one way we've been trying to get folks to help is to help us build that resource base. Now, the thing about it is once we started building it, this um, like white supremacy and harm reduction, it was like a brick wall. It was like everything is white, everything is male, everything is English. It was so hard to find you know, safer injection videos with people of color. It was so hard to find things in Spanish. And we're not big enough to be a content creator right now. 
So to the extent that there are content creators out there um, that are interested in creating harm reduction resources that that lives outside of a white supremacist model and that highlights communities of color and Spanish speakers um, and women and youth and um, also like different geography, like everything is either East Coast or West Coast. There's no safer injection videos with folks with a Southern accent. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, we could go on on the South for a while, uh, <laughs> and it's it's a thing that it's it's hard. Like like I said earlier, it's just there are days where it's hard for me to see the hope being down here. I think we've covered it enough, so I want to go into our final couple of questions. Um, and those are number one. You've already shouted out a cool book. Um, I've got uh, I'm looking at it right now, but who who are you following? What are you reading? What should we be looking at on this topic? Is number one and number two. What are your self care habits that you that work for you, uh, especially during this time of extreme stress? I wish I could say that I have enough time to read anything. Um, I feel like I spend all day either responding to emails or packing boxes. So the last amazing book that I read was called Push Out, The Criminalization of Black Girls in Schools, and it's by Monique Morris. And she, there's also a documentary created around this book. I, I'm like not a very good at consuming culture. Like I'm very insulated. So it's hard for me to provide any type of recommendation because I just don't have a good like breadth of experience. But that's okay. I mean, like, like I said, that, that book you already shouted out. So it doesn't even have to be culture. You know, is there uh, more that you've read in the past on this topic? Is there a person that you think is doing great work that you would recommend the same way that I stumbled upon your organization that you'd recommend, you know, doing um, anything like that? If there, if the answer is nothing, that's perfectly fine. We can move on to your, your self-care habits. I mean, I think everything right now needs to be focused on the Black Lives Matter movement, movement for racial equity. And if folks want to learn more about harm reduction, then start to learn about how, um, you know, drug policy has basically criminalized a huge, you know, segment of our population. So I don't have a lot of recommendations about harm reduction. People need to be doing a lot of work right now, um, especially white folks in um, their racial equity lens. That, expertly put, I, I appreciate you you doing that. Um, and then finally, what is what is your what are your self care habits? Uh, they can be anything from you know taking a moment to breathe to all the way up to whatever is the case. That's really funny because um, when I mentioned before about sending out those 87,000 syringes in this very short amount of time, I actually thought I was getting an ulcer. Um, <laughs> and that's because I can't pack, an, like it takes time and I can't do it all. And the idea that a request going from one day to the next day and taking an extra day to mail, like the thinking about someone not having the supplies they need for that extra day because I couldn't fill the order and I didn't have enough time in the day to fill the order. Like I was getting an ulcer. Um, and so I was trying to do, I was trying to like take time to breathe, but I don't really think I come from a working class family. Um, Self-care to me feel feels very, very privileged. Um, and I think about self-care more in terms of action. Like my self-care is, is taking action as opposed to being like apathetic about what's going on. That is, uh, you are the first person, uh, I couldn't tell you how many interviews this is, at least 25, uh, whose self who has said, you know what, like basically let's not talk about the self-care instead. Let's talk about other ways to help. So I, I applaud you for that. I do hope you are finding some way to, to give yourself a break. But I also understand what you said that like, that can be internalized that what you are doing is literally saving lives, it can be really hard to give yourself a break. So uh, I applaud you for it. And, um, you know, one more time, if you wouldn't mind giving a shout out where people can where people can find you. Um, and, and, you know, anything else you want to do and how we can help. Sure. The website is nextdistro.org, and folks can also access naloxone on naloxoneforall.org. 
Um, on social media, we're also at Next Distro. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast and then thought, oh, man, I just, I don't even know where to begin? Well, I have the perfect answer for you. It's Anchor. They have all the tools you need to get started right away, all in one spot. You can do it from your phone or your computer. They'll even distribute for you, so you don't have to go looking for places to get your podcast out. But the best part is it's all free. That's right. You can sign up today without any hassle at all. You can even start making money right from the beginning. It's everything you need in a podcast in one place. So check it out today. Go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. All right, we've come to the end of another episode. Thank you all for tuning in to episode 21. I just, I have so much respect for Jamie, who not only is is on the front lines of this, but also is spending so much extra time just getting these messages out there. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. About a week after I interviewed her, I tuned into a webinar put on by, actually by Drug Policy Alliance, who you heard called out in my call to action, my birthday fundraiser. And who do I see on the screen? But Jamie. She is a wonderful uh, voice for harm reduction. But as she so expertly put, it's it's not just that she is talking about her work, but that she brings stories. She brings voices. She amplifies others. And uh, we all need to be doing more of that. I, I really respect her for that. So thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Emily Daughter, for that awesome uh, shout out to journaling. It's a great tip, and I th- I recommend it strongly to anyone who is interested in that level of mindfulness. So thank you to both of them. Uh, thank you to everybody who keeps reaching out, sharing, all that kind of stuff. It really means a lot to me to share the podcast. I've got some great people coming up, as I say always, because I, I do. It's snowballing, and I'm recording this uh, 45 minutes before I go interview a guest that will probably come out in August who's a big name in the recovery community. The last interview I did last week is a big name, not just in the recovery community, but in the general community as well. So some big things coming down on the podcast and and just keep it going. Keep it sharing, keep reviewing, keep rating, all that kind of stuff, because that's how I get to provide this awesome content is that people reach out to me at this point. I'm getting people reaching out and going, hey, I've heard your podcast, or I was told to check out this podcast. And and then because of that, I end up getting these awesome, awesome people who want to come on. So if you like hearing these people, that's another thing, recommend people, you know, or reach out and say, hey, my friend is whatever, or whoever and does this. And I want to hear I want to hear from you on that. If you think you have a good story, if you think somebody else is a good story, if you think that your work or somebody else's work is important, and needs to be talked about, I want to hear from it. So go to my website, jshiffman.com, and and let me know. It is that time. Those are the cards, thanks to Blurt. Uh, We are doing the Believe in Yourself card pack today on the Choose Your Card. You know, I I think... Actually, let me read the card, and then I'm going to explain why I chose this pack, all right? So your card for today... Yeah, this is... This is this is really prescient. When a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. When a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. You know, I love this when when the cards so often they they really just tap into what I want to say and this one definitely does. So I wrote an op-ed for my local paper uh, that just dropped today, as I record this, about how for too long we have believed in the ideals of this country, not the reality, but the ideals of this country, and then had the nerve to point fingers at those for whom it failed and say that they are the problem. It is 
doubling down on what ails this country. You know, we look at the founders' ideals. I, I quoted the Declaration of Independence on the way in, but not only that, but the, the Constitution as well, and, and sort of a lot of the laws that are the background of this country that are unequal, that are unjust, and even more so, that serve to keep communities of color down. And then we have the nerve to point at the, the, those communities and say, well, it's not the law's problem. It's not the, you know, we're not the problem, which is bullshit. So I really appreciate that card. And it's true. I mean, I just don't have time to get into everything that, that why that is so true about what is wrong with, with our country. And also, you know, I don't need to because it's out there. So look, um, it's just, it's so readily available if you continue to believe that, um, you know, someone, someone actually posted on, on Facebook in a discussion that I was in, which, yep, okay, shouldn't be reading the comments, but I was actually in this discussion that, you know, <laughs> we got to stop letting people be the victim and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, at this point, if you look at this mountain of evidence, and it is a mountain, it is, it is, <laughs> you know, we're talking fucking Kilimanjaro level evidence here. And then turn your back, cross your arms, and say, nope, it's, it's their fault. Well, there's something else going on there because it's just, it, it's so hard to fathom. Uh, that is a willful ignorance, and that's what we're seeing from the leaders of our country right now. So that is your good egg for, for, this, for this July 4th weekend and, and beyond. Challenge someone. And and not in a it doesn't have to be in a like finger in their face way. I just mean, you know, be willing to stand up and have that discussion. Be willing to recognize that I, I read this the other day and I love I just love this is my like new favorite way of describing this, is that there is no such thing as passive anti racism. There are three different categories and there's active racism. There's passive racism, and then there's there's active anti-racism, and this the, you know all of these arguments that I'm reading, which are just it's just perfect, are saying that to be passively anti-racist is the same thing as being passively racist. That there is no difference between those two things, because it is a willful turning away from the problem. That to say, okay, but I just don't, you know, I'm not going to work that hard for it is being part of the problem. So on this July 4th weekend, don't turn away when your uncle tells you to sit down and not talk about Black Lives Matter or when, you know, someone tells you, no, all lives matter. And that's what the, our country stands for or whatever the bullshit you're going to hear. Challenge him, you know, tell him, no, that's just not how this works. And be willing to have that that conversation because without it we're not moving anywhere keep reaching out uh you know spread some love and be vulnerable be empathetic to those for whom this holiday is not a holiday choose your struggle